Hello, over there on the other side of the pond, this is Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne. And we've just returned from the United Kingdom where we launched the Red Letter Christian Movement. Uh, This show is about Red Letter Christianity. You say, what's Red Letter Christianity? The old Bibles had the words of Jesus highlighted in red. And we're a program that endeavors to uh, emphasize those words, to really let people know that uh, Jesus should be taken seriously. And if we do, Christianity will become radical. Speaking of somebody who is going to be interesting for our people to meet, our guest today is Susan O'Carroll Drake. Um, 20 years as a school teacher, a public school teacher, as we say here in the United States. On the other side of the pond, when you say public school, it doesn't mean the same thing. A government-run school. And uh, she's taught in government-sponsored schools for 20 years. She's won a whole host of awards that include being named uh, Colorado's Outstanding Biology Teacher, um, Access Excellence Fellow, a Woodrow Wilson Teaching Fellow, uh, Howard Hughes Grant recipient. Man, uh, I feel unworthy to be interviewing her. How do you feel about this, Shane? Yeah, I'm. 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 Uh, I'm no, I'm hoping she doesn't ask me any questions about biology. Yeah, that's right. Year. I didn't do well in biology. Uh, Welcome, Susan. Thanks for being on the show with us. Oh, thank you so much. And don't worry. Um, in fact, when my students ask me biology questions now, I know that I'd better have the right answer or admit that I don't because they're checking me on Google as I respond. Oh, there you go. Uh, Susan, um, why should a Christian uh, consider teaching in a government-run, government-sponsored school? I mean, you have been doing this for 20 years. Uh, what are the liabilities? What are the assets? Why would you recommend that Christians who are going into the teaching profession teach in a, in a government school where there are restrictions, there are uh, forces at work that say there are things you can do and can't do religiously? Well, you know, it is a challenge to teach in a public government-run school, but I really believe that um, the students, all students really, deserve a high-quality education. And it doesn't matter. I think it was you, um, Dr. Campolo, who said, you know, regardless of their zip code, they deserve a high-quality education. Good. Um, And I think it's not easy for our students, especially those who are attending our public schools, to learn even when everything is perfect. Um, but what about when they're distracted? What about when they're transient, they're unloved, they're hungry? You know, um, if their teachers are going to be effective and give them high-quality education, their teachers need to be dedicated, they need to be empowered, they need to be highly educated themselves, um, and they need to be brave. And I think Christians are called to help usher in God's kingdom here on earth, and um, this is a great place to do it. That's hey, good. Tell us a little bit about your experience in the classroom. What you've, uh, what you've, you've been doing it a while. What are some things that you've learned uh, and some of the challenges that you faced? By the way, my mom is an educator. She's a retired pub- government school teacher. Uh, she's um, uh, taught for decades. So, and my wife is also a teacher. So this is uh, this is personal and special. So tell us what you've you've learned. Well. Wow. First of all, God bless them, and thanks for their service. So, um, well, you know, after a couple of years of teaching in a suburban school at the beginning of my career over 35 years ago, 
Um, I moved cross country and I spent the next decade teaching science in a Colorado public urban school. Wait, let me rephrase that. Um, I taught and I learned in a rough inner city type school. And when I first started teaching, leaving the adult world for a teen one, that was somewhat unnerving. So you can imagine uh, the shock I experienced when I left my suburban comfort zone for an unfamiliar urban teen world. Um, so after moving back east, um, I took time out of the classroom to raise my own children and to support my husband's career. And now I'm happy to say that I'm currently back in the teaching trenches. Um, this August will mark the start of my ninth year back in uh, the Baltimore County Public Schools. Hmm. And um, I currently teach AP Bio um, or AP Biology, um, advanced placement for those in the UK, um, and the next generation science um, aligned course called Living Systems. So there's a lot of flux going on here in our country in regards to curriculum and aligning it with like the new goals. So I also sponsor the Medical and Science Careers Club here. Um, it's called Future Med. So deep into it, I'm back in the game, and um, I'm starting to see um, that, you know, there are challenges still. They've kind of changed from 35 years ago, but kids are still kids, you know, and the field is still an exciting place to be. Yeah, my, my, my wife uh, found it pretty challenging, just uh, the um, some of the, the – real basic things like air conditioning <laughs> you know yeah. that uh -huh. we don't have air conditioning so the school was uh over 100 degrees fahrenheit which is a lot of degrees celsius uh for folks over there in the uk but yeah it was a uh, it was uh really really hot so much so that the kids had to be let out um some days and then my wife also got some um oh just dozens of books to kind of get uh, more updated and recent material, um, uh, you know, books for the kids to read. And the, the ceiling was leaking and it ruined the books that she got. And I just thought, man, we've got money for bombs and walls, but we don't have money for the ceilings and air conditioning in our public schools. So that's, I mean, that's just, it's just maddening. How have you kind of um, been able to make it through some of that? Before uh, she answers... I think one of the interesting stories is uh, no air conditioning in the school and the temperature is 100 degrees Fahrenheit. People are sweating their heads off. Your wife comes <laughs> home and turns off the air conditioning in your house saying, if they don't yeah. have air conditioning, we're not going to have air conditioning. So now we're doing this solidarity thing, Susan. <laughs> so we don't have air conditioning in our house until the public schools have it. So my wife's put a little fire in my bones to try to figure this thing out. <laughs> okay. Now, what was the question you asked her? More than I am. <laughs> no, yeah. So, I mean, you, you I, I don't know, you may not have faced those exact challenges, but that really is what we're up against. And, and you know, how do you kind of, continue to persevere with, with some big challenges like that? Well, you know, I think um, you really have to develop a sense of humor. So um, the school that I was teaching out in Colorado, we had a problem with rodents and really large rats would come out even in the middle of class. Oh, um, fortunately, the place where I am now, they're much smaller, um, but they do still come out. Um, <laughs> and it had to become a game. You know, I had to laugh because... Otherwise, if, if I didn't, um, I would become sort of disheartened. Um, so, you know, we 
we learned how to sort of anticipate when the biggest rat would come out during class. <laughs> and, um, and, and I would chase it during class because, you know, it was a distraction and you couldn't expect the kids to, to not notice or to not react. Yeah. Um, but, but I think that's one of the reasons why I wrote the, the, um, the first book that I did is I wanted people, um, teachers, to have some sort of support. Like, I really think it's important for all of the people in our society to support our public schools. Like you're saying, you know, your wife is trying to motivate you to get the air conditioning put in. Um, but it's not just regular people. We need our politicians. We need to have, you know, all of the people who are involved with the society to be on board and to support us. Now, so a it, sense of humor and to just to try to find those people that are supportive in those institutions that will donate books to me, that will give a grant, you know, to fund some of the supplies that we need. You have this book. You have this book, Morning Meetings with Jesus a book, a devotional book for teachers. Uh, tell us about the book and why you wrote it and how it works. So um, Morning Meetings with Jesus um, was, it was kind of a strange scenario of um, how I wrote it. So while I was teaching in uh, Colorado out in this very urban school, um, I encountered many challenges day after day. My husband was in medical school at the time, so really kind of unavailable to to really even listen to me. And so I probably needed to have some sort of therapy, but we couldn't afford it. So um, my mom recommended that I tape record the events that happened during the day, sort of a debrief before I prayed. And I did that. When we moved cross country, I found a box. I opened up the box and it was filled with all these tapes that I had recorded um, of my adventures in that school and the things that had happened. I started listening to the tapes and I thought, my gosh, I've got to do something with these, you know. Um, and then I started thinking, well, what did I really need when I was in the trenches? And I thought I really would have been good if I had a teacher devotional for, you know, like one day. Uh, of teaching something that I could focus on. And so I put together 180 or so stories from those tapes and um, tried to add scriptures to them and, and a focus for the day. So it was really born out of, I guess, necessity and need and then being able to, to use those those recordings for something good. If we were on television, I would hold up the book. Uh, so I'm just <laughs> going to have to give the title again. Morning Meetings with Jesus, a book of devotional uh, pieces written by Susan O'Carroll Drake, a school teacher for 20 years, a, an award-winning teacher who has tried to bring her Christian spirit into the classroom. Uh, you can't talk about Jesus all uh, openly and call people to give their lives to Jesus openly, but you do communicate something of Jesus in the classroom. How do you do that? Well, you know, that's the hope. And I can't say that every day I'm the, the best emissary, but I think, um, I think, Tony, it was you who said, uh, who quoted the words of St. Francis of Assisi, who said, you know, at all times preach the gospel, but when necessary, use words. I'm getting all choked up because I think that's the key to it, is that 
when Christians go into the classroom, they carry with them the spirit of God. And um, basically, I want my students to know that, you know, I am a person who loves my teaching job. I love my, my content and I love them. And I think, you know, Christians are the people who are called to, to bring God's kingdom to the world. And we're also called to be brave, to not have fear. And um, I think by being in the classroom and bringing excellence to our students, we really are sort of emissaries for Christ. At least that's my hope. Hey, the voice you're listening to is Susan O'Carroll Drake. She's a, a public school teacher here in the United States and a author of a book, Morning Meetings with Jesus, 180 Devotions for Teachers. Uh, she's written a lot of other stuff, too. She's a great educator and uh, an educator that's trying to love Jesus and be a red-letter Christian inside the public government-run school system here in the U.S. And uh, this is Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo. Thanks for joining us. The name of the show is Across the Pond. We're on every week at this time talking about Jesus and justice and the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, you can find more on our website, redletterchristians.org. Or recently, we've got a new launch of Red Letter Christians in the UK. So for those of you over across the pond in the UK, you can go to redletterchristians.org.uk and find all kinds of the stuff, uh, Red Letter Christian stuff happening right there uh, in, in the United Kingdom. So as we come back, Tony, I was thinking of this story that I remember you telling um, of one of our colleagues at Eastern that was uh, thinking of being a school teacher and uh, and was applying to all the, yeah. the, the, the nice schools in the suburbs, and you, you had an interesting response. Well, uh, this student came in, and this would be right where uh, Susan is, came into my office, and she was all excited mm -hmm. because she had just landed a job in this very affluent suburb of Philadelphia, and she went on to say, and do you know... There were 200 applicants for the job, and I got it. And I said, gee, that's kind of sad. And she said, what do you mean? I said, the school system of Philadelphia is 300 teachers short this year. I mean, they desperately need teachers. And uh, you took a job where you weren't really needed. If you weren't taking the job, there are scores of teachers lined up who would take the job and teach in your place. But in Philadelphia, what about these classrooms that have no teachers at all? Why would you spend your life where you're not needed when you could spend your life where you're desperately needed? I then said to her, in the words of Captain Kirk of the Spaceship Enterprise, you should boldly go where none of the teachers have gone before. <laughs> and uh, she got the message. She did end up teaching in an inner city school as you did, and, of course, the situation is tough because the financial resources are not available in the city schools like they are in the suburbs. And uh, this is a tragic reality. Uh, all kids are entitled to the same quality of education, and they're not getting it. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, why, uh, why, why do you really feel that um, your Christian faith has driven you to teach in the first place? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think we all have to look at what our skill sets are and what we do well. And I was driven to teach, first of all. Um, I have 
teachers in my family. And I was one of those little kids that when I was like five years or six years old, I would play school, you know, instead of like going out to play baseball or whatever. Um, so I think that was something that God put in my heart. And I had done other jobs. I've worked as a physician's assistant. I was a nutritionist for a while. Um, and I felt like I was being called to teach. Um, but, you know, I think that the whole, there's, there's got to be a desire to do something. Um, and where was I going with this? What was your question again? <laughs> well, I think you're making it clear that uh, you're a teacher because first you have a call and secondly, I think you answered the question brilliantly. You had a calling, number one. Number two, you evaluated your skills and your interest and what really turns you on, and you put that all together in terms of a need that you saw out there. And I think that's what a calling is. A calling is you see a need, you evaluate your gifts, and ask whether my gifts, my skills can meet that need. And uh, that's what you did, and you been doing it for 20 years, and evidently, with all the awards you've won, you've done it well. That's the question, and that's the answer you gave, even though uh, you may not have realized you gave that answer. Hey, Susan, I wonder if you can tell us, you've got 180 of these devotions. Maybe you could uh, tell us one of the lessons that you've learned, or one of the, 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 the give us a little uh, morning meeting with Jesus here, you know, uh, give us one of the glimpses of, of those you know, stories. One of your here. stories. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one of the stories that's more recent that I've put into the to the new book, into the study book, because it's a little bit fresher in my mind. Um, but I, I call it the story of the brain liquor. So the lesson that I'm trying to um, to get across is the lesson that we all as teachers need to be prepared um, for a bit, just about anything. And um, so a couple of years ago, I was maybe in my third or fourth year of teaching, I guess, of AP biology. So I thought I kind of had it down. And we were scheduled to do a sheep brain dissection. Um, and we went through, my first period class went through, we had our sheep brains and the pans. We had, I had the kids identify the different parts, make the right slices. Everything seems to be like A-okay, right? The lab finished up. We got cleaned up. I aired the space out so my next classes didn't have to sit there smelling the formula. And everything, everything seemed kind of wonderful until about lunchtime when I was packing up to go out and have my own lunch and there's a little knock on the door and one of my first period students comes in and says to me, well, he asked me two kinds of um, disturbing questions. He says, what would happen if say like somebody actually like touched the sheep brain to their mouth or their lips? Um, would anything bad come of that? <laughs> and I said, Oh, would that somebody be maybe you? And he says, well, and what if the part of their body that touched it was their tongue? <laughs> and I went ballistic because I said, are you telling me that you licked the sheep brain? Um, did you not hear anything about prion disease at the beginning of the year? Do you not know the risks that are involved with brain tissue? Did I really have to say before the lab to to, you know, don't lick the brain. <laughs> well, we had to put the kid on a health watch. 
I had to call his parents. I had to file a special report with the nurse. And I was honestly waiting for the kid to come down with some godforsaken disease and um, waited and waited. And I remember when prom came around a couple of months later, the kid actually was still alive and he was, he was wanting to pose with me at prom. So, um, you know, all's well that ends well. But I, when I reported this to the administration, which I had to do legally, I was actually called down to an administrator's office and questioned, did I tell the children that they needed to not lick the brain? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is a college-level class. Really? But um, now I am prepared. And before I run that dissection, like just this year, I told the students, now, please do not put the, the brain anywhere near your mouth or your face. So, um, yeah, there's one. <laughs> well, that, that is the story, man. So uh, yeah, the, the, people out there in the radio land, are you listening to this? It, don't go around licking brains. You got that from uh, Susan O'Carroll Drake, the author of Morning Meetings with Jesus. And uh, yeah, the kids. I was, I was trying to think of where Jesus is in that story, and I think the point of it is, if you die from licking a sheep's brain, where will you go? Yeah. You know? do, yeah. do you know Jesus as your personal savior? You, you got to always be ready. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now you have uh, you 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 have uh, this book out. You you teach and you're running a home. Do you have children? I have two children who are now grown. Uh huh. So. So the first book I wrote... Do you um, have any children at home now? While I was home with my children, um, and when they would be napping, I would be trying to write up the things that I found on those tapes. Yeah, um, that's the the question. How how do you do that? You're raising kids, you're writing a book, you're teaching school, you're trying to keep kids from licking brains. Uh, how (laughs) How do you find time for all of that? Well, fortunately, the the Morning Meetings with Jesus devotional book, I was able to complete while I took time off. Um, I had a a hiatus away from the classroom when I was raising my children and supporting my husband's career. Um, The second book that I wrote, The Teacher Training with Jesus, the one that's uh, a Bible study guide that just came out this October, um, that one I wrote during the summers. And um, I edited during some kind of long, crazy, hectic weekends in between my teaching. So now that I'm back in the classroom full time, that was a little bit more of a challenge. So and, and we just have a few minutes left, but tell us a little bit about the recent book. So your first book was Morning Meetings, Meetings with Jesus, and this new book is uh, Teacher Training with Jesus. And you offer some lessons. Uh, tell us uh, maybe one of those. Well, I was um, looking for a, a Bible study um, on teaching to work with in my, um, one of my Bible study groups at church, and really there wasn't very much in the way of, um, of any real teaching kind of Bible studies that met my needs. In fact, the best book that I had and one of my favorites um, that approached the subject is uh, a book called The Man Nobody Knows. It was published in 1925. So Bruce Barton was the author. Outdated. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Barton. That's a good book. Yeah, and I loved that book, and I thought, what if I could take um, some of the lessons that he presents as far as how Jesus taught and put it into a more modern study guide that was really not just for teachers, but for coaches, for parents, for anybody who's really a leader. Um, And that's 
that's what the new book is about. And it's Great. just um, 10 lessons taken from the Bible and Jesus's teaching model to look, okay, Jesus was a master teacher. You know, how did he do that? Um, and so I come up with, um, I, I tried to narrow it down to just 10, 10 main things that Jesus did uh, to be, be a master teacher, you know? Um, and the first lesson is called the potential of preparation. And I start out with the brain liquor story. Hmm. And then um, in lesson two, I have um, a lesson on how teachers need to be and leaders need to be empathetic. Hmm. And I talk a little bit about how one of my students um, kept vomiting during class and how hmm. annoying that was. And it turned out that the, the gal was pregnant. Hmm. And I didn't know that. Um, and sort of my shame in, in chastising her for coming to school when she was so sick. Empathy. You know? Wow. Um, well, unfortunately, we're, we're going to have to uh, uh, invite people to, to uh, read the book and uh, since we can't get all of it on the show here. But the, uh, we've been talking with Susan O'Carroll Drake, an incredible educator here in the United States. She's written a couple of books. The most recent, Teacher Training with Jesus, 10 Lessons from the Master. And her other one is uh, Morning Meetings with Jesus. It's been a great conversation. And uh, as uh, Tony reminded us earlier, there's that wonderful line from Frederick Beekner, uh, the great writer, who said, we've got to take our passions and our skills and connect them to this world's pain and this world's needs. And when our, sc- our skills meet this world's need, we really see ourselves come to life and others. Uh, so thanks for joining us, and we're out of time. We'll see you next week at this time across the pond.